Hi, this is Devin Orlowski. Welcome to the Rabbi Orlowski Show. Whether you're watching with our friends over at Torah Anytime, wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts, it doesn't make a difference. Chag Sameach! Zman Simchaseinu Vesamachta Bechagecha Vayisach Sameach! It's Sukkot! Wow! What a joyous time! Just, uh, Sitting outside in our sukkah, and uh, depending where you are, that's a more challenging or less challenging experience. Uh, when I grew up in Long Island, and it was like this year where sukkahs was later, it was very cold. I mean, you went out into the sukkah in your in your winter coats to go and uh, and to eat there. Um, and I remember at one point I was. Uh, in my FBT phase, which is fiery balchuva. And I said to my father, I'm sleeping in the sukkah. He says, are you crazy? You're going to catch pneumonia. And I said, I'm uh, mitzvah, I sleep in the sukkah, I sleep in the sukkah. I took my bed out there. I woke up in the morning, and of course my father was wrong. I didn't catch pneumonia. I just got bronchitis. But, uh, you know, it's kind of challenging. I know... uh, Somebody who married a girl from Miami Beach, and he says they put uh, they put uh, an air conditioner in the sukkah because otherwise it's uh, too hot. Mitzdaya right? is putter from a uh, from the midst of sukkah, and it's just too hot down there. It's impossible. I know. I was uh, I was in Miami in September once for a uh, for a Shabbos. And I took a shower, got dressed, and I walked from the door of the house to the street, and I was soaked. It was so hot and so humid. It made you just hope for a hurricane to cool things off. <laughs> but uh, who knows? I tell the story that uh, I once spoke in Boca. Um, it was September, October, in between Hurricane Ivan and Janine. It was just hurricane after hurricane. They just gotten the electricity back on in Boca. And, and I got up to speak and I said, why do you people live here? And they said, what are you talking about? The weather. <laughs> and November, they're right, is gorgeous. Yeah, January, it's terrific. Uh, I was in Phoenix, Arizona twice. Um, once in uh, November and once in January. It's delightful. They tell me if you come there in the summertime, so people have to wear oven mitts when they uh, when they have to drive because they can't even hold the wheel. I uh, I did a Shabbos in Palm Springs, California, in August. It was a hundred and seventeen degrees. That's hot. <laughs> so sometimes it's too hot, and sometimes it's too cold, and Baruch Hashem, this time of year in Eretzel, it's usually what we call Sukkot weather. Ah, it's delightful, crisp and delicious, and you just love staying out there. When I, I build my own little sleeping sukkah, and uh, it's just, it's uh, terrific, yeah. Because the wall is 10 tvachim high, has to be, otherwise it doesn't count as a market. I roll out uh, uh, a roll of schach, put my, uh, my 
mattress in there, and I just crawl in, and I have a little comfy sucker. Ah, it's terrific. It's a problem in the morning when you wake up and you bang your head, but, you know, but until then, it's delightful. <laughs> People come to visit me. I can't really entertain. It's kind of small, but, you know, we, they sit Japanese style, you know, so have a glass of sake. Anyway, so... uh um so you go out into your sukkah, just enjoy the experience. Ah, oh, so wonderful. Zman Simcha Seinu. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. But first, I want to read you a non-sponsorship. This is not a sponsorship. But I was so moved by this that I want to share it with you. Hi, Rabbi Olavsky. You touched a nerve in episode 182. One of my pet peeves, especially as treasurer of my shul, is people asking for breaks on membership, knowing that there are those receiving tuition breaks while driving expensive cars, going on vacation, buying expensive jewelry. People hire expensive party planners and rent furniture, but try to negotiate on the shul's rental fee. Um, Rabbi Foyer said to me once, he was speaking at a dinner, and uh, he said, this is what I charge. And, and they said, uh, well, you know, give us a hanukkah. He says, you're paying full price for the caterer, full price for the printer, full price for, you know, for everything else over here. But suddenly when it comes to paying the rabbi, you know, now, now you don't have any money. He says, it's not covered at Torah. And uh, Rabbi Ulwick told me once, uh, he says, when it comes to... Uh, Counseling, he does counseling. He says you should always charge because people don't think it's chashev if they don't charge. And I've seen myself that when I charge uh, a higher fee than a lower fee, it always turns out to be a much better speech. People appreciate it more. But anyway, so they're trying to negotiate on the shul's rental fee. But it made me think that I receive so much from your podcast and this is our way of saying thank you. And he paid for a sponsorship. No need to sponsor an episode. He doesn't even want a sponsorship for this. Just want to say thank you. Please keep anonymous. Thank you for always speaking the truth. A good yar. Well, I this is not a sponsorship. He's not sponsoring this. But uh, but I just found that so inspiring because uh, you know that's what we uh, that's what we do. We we try to appreciate what we uh, what we get and give, and there are some people who just look at it from the point of view of, you know, how can I get without giving? And uh, and that's it. Okay, so that's our non-sponsorship. Um, so let me talk for a moment about Hoshana Rabbah. Hoshana Rabbah is the final Yom Adin. Um, it's not in the Gemara. It's in the Zoya. But the Gemara doesn't talk about it. Uberosh Hashanai Kasevu Ubiyoim Saim Kipahye Kasemun. It is written on Rosh Hashanah, it is sealed on Yom Kippur. Uboishana Rabbah, there's a kvittal. Where did that come from? <laughs> it's not my song. <laughs> Suddenly it's like Vittal. What what does that mean? Yeah. So this is this is a, a interesting concept. So I may have shared this thought. Um yeah, we've we've done 
I think this is episode 186. We, we've done a lot of these and it's, it's very possible that I repeat myself. Um, I uh, have people who, who uh, followed the podcast, uh, uh, I guess I'll say religiously, um, if you can use that term for a podcast, but uh, they, um, uh, they seem to remember everything that I've ever said, you know? So one time a guy was here, he was in the audience and he says, you didn't say one thing that I haven't already heard. <laughs> and I had to show him one second. What about this? What about that? Okay. Okay. You know, nuances, you know, but, um, uh, I remember I was at a share once by Mr. Shapiro and I felt like I had heard these ideas all before. I didn't think it was anything new. And Rabbi Yosef Brown, who really learned for many years about Rabbi Moshe, I, I always say, I would never have the chutzpah to call myself a Talmud of Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, and he would never call me one either. <laughs> I know this from a Maishashaya. <laughs> it was somebody who was upset about something that Rabbi Moshe was doing, and because I had written a letter on the subject, everyone thought that I was his man, and they were coming after me. And I, I said, you're angry at the king, so you killed the jester, you know? I said, you really think that if Ramesha Shapiro wants to bring a message out to the world, he says, yeah, that guy sitting in the fourth row who doesn't really follow so much about what I'm saying, I want him to represent me. I said, he has Russian yeshiva. He's got doctors, lawyers, uh, uh, scientists who come to his shiram. You think he was going to pick me? So I said this over to Ramesha, and he said, yeah, it's really pretty funny. <laughs> that wasn't what I was going for, but, you know, at least it confirmed how I felt. <laughs> So, uh, but, but Yosef Brown, he, uh, he, he was the real deal. You know, he managed that so many years, but Reb Moshe. And, uh, um, and I said to him, I said, I didn't, I didn't feel like there was uh, any chidushim here. And he said, a painter has only so many colors, but he can paint endless pictures with them. So yeah, there's a certain uh, foundation of Yisodos, but he, puts them together in different ways. So uh, sometimes I bring in uh, an idea in one context, but it's appropriate in another context as well. So um, I don't know if I've said this one before. Yeshiva Bacher said to me during Av, Shabbos Mavarchen, Rosh Chodesh and he said to me, I'd like to go to sleep Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul, and wake up after Simchas Torah. So I thought, well, you want to sleep through, I didn't see, you want to sleep through Yom Kippur, you know, you want to sleep through Sukkot? Sleep through Simchas Torah? Yeah. Yes. Because it's too much for me. It's too much pressure. So it's interesting. Rosh Hashanah is a pressure, it's din. It's din. You're being judged you have to take a hard look at your life, your decisions. You have to present a defense and a reorganization plan for the coming year. I say it's made tshuva. Okay, it's a lot of slichas. I can appreciate that. Yeah, pretty long. Have to get up early. Slichas. Uh, a poetic. Hebrew, and uh, one. either way you look at it, you're going to have a problem, because I can't keep up 
with the person who's doing it. I I take uh, take more time. I I just recently did a shear in my tefillah shear on this topic about slichas. I went through slichas, and I said, you know, I have to read ahead. I have to prepare ahead because there's no way I can say it that fast. Alternatively, is somebody who says it as slow as I do, and that's just so oppressive. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> I'd rather be the one trying to catch up than the one having to hang around. Yeah, but. Um, Okay, so, you know, Yom Kippur, all right, you're fasting, you're a whole day in shul, is that, okay, Sukkot, Sukkot is fun, Simkos Beis of going out every night, having a party, um, I don't know if anybody remembers, but on the music scene, there was someone by the name of Dove Levine, he was on the first Journeys album. And um, he was learning in Eretz because he was young. He was young when he became a star. Yeah, he was learning in Eretz And he used to go around every single night to sing at a different Simchus Pesach Shoeva. And he told me, somebody said, are you crazy? You're going to ruin your voice. You, know, you, can't, you can't keep doing this. And he said, what did a Kodesh Baruch give me a voice for if not to be able to sing? So you want to sleep through so Okay. But Simchas Taira? Yeah, with, with the flags? Don't you like the flags? I grew up. <laughs> I grew up in a shul. Simchas Taira, they used to give you candy apples. If you've never had the experience. Yeah, it's an apple. You put a stick in it. And you put this hard, you know, cherry candy outside that hardens on it. And it take a bite out of it. I made it. I actually found the recipe and I made it for my kids and they tried to take a bite and it was too hard and it hurt their teeth and I had a whole bunch of apples covered in um, covered in a sugary substance that was hard with one bite in it. <laughs> if I knew that, I would have made one and let pass it around and let everyone take one bite, you know. But, uh, you, you know, Mr. the jelly apples? Gosh, you know, and uh, you figure for the average bacha, what could be more appealing than drinking? Yeah, oh, what an excuse to be able to drink. You know, uh, in America, I've been in places where Simchas Torah is basically poor. There's drinking and uh, shtick and all kinds of crazy things. You know, it's one of the great things about living in Israel is that Simchas Torah and Shmini Atzeres are one day, so you have to. Um, have all the hakafis and then go into Tfil's Geshem and Yisker. You know, it's like the it's all the same day. You know, you don't get to separate the religious stuff off and then just have the uh, the, the the fun. You put it all together. Yeah, you don't want And I thought about it, and I understand why. There's a pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Rosh Hashanah, Seres Be'chuva, Yom Kippur, even Elul. Elul! Yeah. I understand what the pressure is. It's a lot of pressure. You know, Kosh Baruch is going to judge me. Am I going to get forgiven? I'm going to be written in the book of life, the book of death. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to be a Russia tzaddik? What's going to happen? Me by Aish, me by Mayim. Yeah, all the terrible things that are going to possibly happen, all the judgments. I understand that's heaven. 
Hoshana Rabbah is the final Yom Hadin. Why? Because even if you did not make it in Din, maybe you can make it in Simcha. Okay, Rosh Hashanah is too heavy for you. Sarah's Meshub is too heavy for you. Yom Kippur is too heavy for you. But you can't sit out in the sukkah, sing songs, eat food, drink uh, drink fine drinks. Tommy Amin says, where did this come from that in the sukkah we always put out like fancy food and fancy drinks? Where's that from? So he says, because sukkah is to remember the nisim of the Anunia covered. And you know, the Anani covered were part of a set. It also came along with the Mun, which tasted like anything you wanted, and the Be'er, which tasted like any liquid that you wanted. And they had that the whole 40 years in the Midbar, and that's what we are remembering on Sukkot. So just like remember the Sukkot with the Anani covered, remember the food, remember the drink, all of the wonderful things that go with that. So serve Hashem, if do as Hashem besimcha, if do as Hashem besimcha. So I said to him, what's wrong with Sukkot? And he said to me, because you have to be happy. <laughs> it's not like if you want to be happy. Okay. The Gemara asks, who gets more schar for doing a mitzvah? A Jew or a non-Jew? Remember when I learned this as a kid? I said, of course, the non-Jew, it's extra credit, doesn't have to do it. But the Gemara says, no, the Jew gets more credit. Why? Because he's mitzvah, he's commanded. And there's a simple reality, once I have to do it, I don't want to. Yeah? High school kid wakes up in the morning, looks at his room, and it is a disaster area, even by his incredibly low standards. And he decides, today, I'm going to clean up my room. You know, all the clothes that stand on its own are going into the wash. All the old pizza boxes, taking them out, you know. Take a lawnmower, see what I can do with the carpet. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm determined. And you're lying in bed, psyching yourself up. And your mother opens the door and says, this room is a pigsty, clean it up. Now I don't want to, because you told me I have to. There are people who stay up every night till 4 o'clock in the morning, except on Shavuos night. By 11.30, they're falling asleep. <laughs> there are people who never eat breakfast. Sometimes they forget to eat lunch. It's like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they say, oh, I didn't eat anything today. Except on a tinus. 9 o'clock in the morning, they're pacing up and down. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to make it. I have a headache. I better lie down. What time is it? 9 or 1? Oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it. So, but you never eat. But I always could. Once you tell me I can't, I'm starving. So you tell me I have to be happy? Yeah? Cheer up or else. Yeah. So uh, it's a pressure. But just like we can serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu through Yira, we can serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu through Simcha. Zman Simcha Seinu. That's Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur. Yeah. 
Focusing on Kapara doing Shuva is doing. But I have to be happy? Even that's a pressure for some people. I don't want to have to do anything. I mentioned this in the past. Rabbi Center told me once, he says, the taiva of kids today, it's not to go out and do bad things. When I was growing up, people wanted to go out and do things that were wrong. He says, now they want to sit and binge watch TV shows and movies and never go anywhere. They're just sitting on their phone or whatever their device is and like this. Totally gone. Yeah. I don't want to... I looked up once. Interesting thing. You know, on some websites they tell you how much uh, views your video has had. But you can go into it and also see the engagement, meaning how long did people watch the video? And a lot of people who watch the video don't watch it all the way to the end. It's too much of a commitment. <laughs> it's too much time. That's why you have all these, you know, programs where they give you a minute, one minute, because that's as much as people can handle. Yeah. Soon they'll be down to a second. Torah. <laughs> it says, Bilam knew the moment when Akash Baruch Hu got angry, which is a fraction of a second. So what was he going to say? Klam. Okay, one word. Then we're going to have meaningful second. Torah. Yeah. Chuba. <laughs> I, no, I have no attention span for anything more than that. Everyone's attention span is shot. So, uh, so it's interesting to see, you know, have to tr try to keep focused. No one wants to do anything. So you tell me, I have a mitzvah of simcha. I don't even, I don't even want to do that. I, I don't know if I've told this story. It could very well be that I did. Uh, there was a film called The Matrix, which I never saw. But I heard about it. And I used to quote it in Shiorim all the time. But uh, basically, the idea is that everybody is living an imaginary life. You're really in a big tube hooked up to a machine. And you're imagining everything. It's all make-believe. So sometimes people say to me, why do I have to work so hard to have a meaningful life? Why can't Hashem just make me think I'm having a meaningful life? Just fool me. I said, well, that's like being hooked up to the matrix. You know, you don't have anything real. It's nothing's real. Starting about 15 years ago, students would say to me, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay thinking I have a meaningful life, even though I don't. Fool me. Tell me no secrets. Tell me some lies. Give me no reasons. Give me alibis. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I don't need reality. I don't need to get married and have children and uh, have a loving relationship. I just have to pretend. Hook me up to a machine and I'll think that I did. Of 
Of course, there's no point to creating people for that. What's the point? Just make a computer program, push a button that goes happy, 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 happy. There's no point to it. But people are so, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, the, the apathy is so far that we don't even want to be happy. We don't even, we don't even want to celebrate. There are people who consider it a big chore to have to go to a simcha. Now, I'm not talking about people who have a bunch of little kids and they get invited out every night and they don't want to keep leaving the baby and the children with, you know, with a, or a pair, you know. They want to they wanna spend time with their children and do their homework. I can't understand that. Well, people have nothing to do. I'd rather stay home and do nothing. And have a simcha. Be happy. You know? Certain people were so happy when COVID hit because I never have to leave my house. Whatever I do, I'll do online. And anybody I have to talk to, I'll do it on uh, Zoom. I don't have to go shopping. Go online, buy whatever it is. Don't deliver it to my house. Call up for the, the food. Don't bring it to my house. I don't have to do anything. Nothing. Sukkot is really intense. It's intense happiness. People partied all night and all day to the point that the Gemara says, when did they sleep? Says, if you had to sleep, you put your head on your friend's shoulder. And you got back up. Kept dancing, celebrating, singing, enjoying, pleasure. Yeah, it is a, it is a pressure. And that's what the end of Sukkot, we have a final Yom Adin, And we say, okay, maybe Din was too intense for you. And maybe Tshuva was too intense with you. But how about Simcha? Even that was too much for you? That's it. And that's what we have to do. We have to embrace the Simcha because there's plenty of other ways of motivating people that are not so happy, not so positive. Be happy and celebrate and serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu that way. A secular Jewish businessman told me once, most Jews have never heard of Sheva Brachas, but they all know how to say Kaddish. Because the one thing we do well is mourn. That we Jews are good at, being miserable. At Simcha, that's much harder. So, let's go into Zman Simcha Seinu, and let's, uh, let's allow ourselves to live a little sing and dance and eat and drink and celebrate and uh, fill ourselves with that wonderful sense of simcha that comes from being tachas kanfei ashkina inside of our sukkah. Hashem, envelop us in your, uh, in your beautiful, beautiful simcha. Okay. So uh, now we come to the question and answer portion of the program. Laser Cohen asks, 
I just heard the car wash story from a few weeks ago. Now, for those of you who were not watching then, I told the story about how I was waiting online to go to a car wash, and this guy cut the line. And so the car wash people refused to wash his car, and he refused to leave the line. So all of us stood there in the blazing heat for 45 minutes during this Mexican standoff. And eventually the car wash people realized the line was getting so long down down the uh, road that they decided to give in and wash the car. That was the story. Here's the question Laser Cohen asks. Were the car wash guys correct in not giving in and holding up the whole line? No. No. They either should have come up with some way to move his car. I don't know what that would involve. You know? And if not, just wash the car. What do you... So you're right. Yeah? It's better to be smart than right. That's a very important point. You should you should always embrace what is the best outcome as opposed to just sticking to your guns until you can say, okay, I was right. So forget it. The guy's not Peseda. Just wash it and move on. That's my opinion. Malfigian Tubule Expert asks, why does the Torah allow us to eat grasshoppers? Why would we want to eat bugs? The short answer is, um, I don't know why a grasshopper is any uh, less disgusting than a dead bird or uh, a dead cow or the other stuff that we eat. I don't know why that is. Some of it's psychological. Um, I can't eat lamb. My kids my kids uh, love lamb. They want me to make lamb. I can't eat lamb because it smells like an animal. And I don't want to feel like I'm actually eating an animal. That's why beef tastes like nothing. So do chicken. <laughs> and that's why when they tell, you know, oh, do you ever have venison? Which is deer. You know? I said, why? So said, well, it has like a gamey taste. So that's what we call spoiled. <laughs> it's a gamey taste. I remember Empire Chicken used to have a, an ad. Uh, never a gamey taste and never a stringy texture. <laughs> so why would I want to eat something that tastes that way to start with? Yeah. Jackie Mason had a whole thing on brie, type of cheese, brie. And it says, uh, you know, it says it's disgusting. It smells. It's terrible. People say you have to develop a taste. He says, Why? I have to spend six months being nauseous to develop a taste? What for? Did you ever hear anyone say you have to develop a taste for potato chips? No, because they taste good. <laughs> so that's me. I can't eat lamb. So, so if you ask me about grasshoppers, I'll tell you another thing. I can't eat tongue. I have a couple of kids that love tongue. I don't know why. Why is that any... I have no problem eating his liver, you know, or other parts of the of the cow, but... I don't know, the tongue, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable eating something with taste buds. I feel like it's tasting me back. <laughs> it's irrational. I'm not, I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just telling you. So, um, so, so the idea of eating grasshoppers, to me, uh, I don't find particularly appealing. But 
This is the answer that I was given once upon a time. And as we've already established many times, I'm not Pesach Kron. I don't check these things out. I just hear something and I repeat it. Um, locusts eat an enormous amount of grain. A fellow told me he knew an Israeli who was on a kibbutz in the 1950s. They had a locust attack here in Israel. And this enormous swarm of a gazillion of these things land in the kibbutz, and they just eat everything. You just hear chomping, chomp, 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 chomp. When they get up, there's nothing left. They eat everything. So because of that, they're very high in protein because they ate all that food that you were supposed to eat, and they have it all inside of them. Therefore, they're supposed to be a very good food source. I've heard from people who say if you roast them with salt, they're crunchy and they're yummy. And I don't know. I don't know. But uh, um, it's it's the idea of uh, take a horse or a pig. There are places where they eat horses and pigs. That doesn't mean that it's, uh, um, I'm sure it's very tasty. I really don't know places that eat these things, you know. But um, the Torah tells us, for us, it's tummy. So bugs are tummy. You don't, you don't eat them. But uh, could they taste good? I don't know. There is a move now to try to get people to start eating bugs. Yeah. I know that would make Elma Fudd very happy. <laughs> All right. That's enough about that. <laughs> Uh, Anonymous asks, what's the meaning of leather shoes in Judaism? We can't wear them on Yom Kippur or Tisha B'Av. We can't wear them in the Mishkan or the base of Mikdash. They must be worn during Chalitza. Also, are we specifically supposed to wear shoes during the rest of the year? What is the meaning of all this? Shoes let you go where you can't go. They let you blaze a trail. There's thorns and thistles and rocks, hard to walk. Shoes give you the ability to go in the world where you weren't meant to go. You can blaze new paths. A mourner doesn't go anywhere. A mourner stays at home. And he doesn't go anywhere. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no journey. Same thing on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we are there it is the Kodesh HaKadoshim in time. As the Kohen Gadol goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Yom Kippur, we are in the Kodesh HaKadoshim in time. No place for us to go. And one of the reasons that we do the things we do is because we're like Malachim. We dress in white. We stand because Malachim have no knees. They can't sit. And... Um, uh, we don't eat or drink because they don't. It's, as Rabbi Leff once described it, one day in Olam Haba. Olam Haba, and Achilev, and Shtia, and Tashva Shemitah, and Masavimatan, just Sadikim, Yoshvin, Venenen, Men, Zivashchina. They're sitting. Why are they sitting? Because you don't have any legs in Olam Haba. There's no place to go. Your journey is over. 
In this world, Lech Lecha Eretz Asher Eka, we're going someplace. But the destination is Olam Haba. And that is Yom Kippur. We are in the destination. And that's why we don't do it. Um, by Chalitza, we take off the shoe. Why? Because you don't want to complete your brother's journey. Your brother wanted to get married and have children. I'm asking you to complete that, and you refuse. So you take off your shoe. You refuse to finish the journey of your brother. As far as I understand, that's what shoes represent. Yeah? Nechama asks, It seems that there is a trend in firm publications and advertising that women's faces can never be shown. That is true. Many women, including myself, find this to be demeaning, upsetting, and absurd. What are your opinions about this trend? Well, I don't find it demeaning, and I don't find it upsetting. You might find it absurd, but what are you upset about? You want men to look at you? You're missing out? <laughs> so you might say, well, it's absurd. Why can't it? you put it in the woman's face and just let the man look at him? And this shows the lack of understanding of men on the part of women. <laughs> because men like to look at women. In fact, uh, there are uh, many websites that are designed specifically for men to be able to look at women. In, uh, not all of them are in uh, things of undress. There are girls who found out that boys get a hold of their high school yearbooks and look at all the girls' pictures. And they enjoy that. That's demeaning. <laughs> That's upsetting. And this has been a big question in Shidduchim of, do you send your picture around because then everyone's going to sit there and look at it? And yes, they do. That's what guys do. Guys enjoy looking at pictures of women. And uh, women don't get it. They really don't. I appreciate that. So uh, so they say, well, why can't the men just control themselves? The same reason that you put a lock and alarm on your house and say, why can't the Ganovim just uh, behave themselves? Because men are men and women are women and viva la difference and men like to look at girls. <laughs> Even fully closed. Yeah. And... Uh, trying to be delicate, but I'm not really good at it. Uh, let's just say that uh, men uh, will look at a picture of a woman and uh, maybe enlarge it, get a better look. <laughs> I, can't, I can't figure out how to say this nicely, but I've seen people do this. So therefore, people say, we think it's demeaning to women to put their pictures in and allow them to be objectified. So, I asked this question once to a girl who was not religious. And she, she didn't understand this whole concept of, you know. I said, you went to, obviously, a co-ed school, right? right? I said, do you remember about seventh or eighth grade when you started to develop as a woman? She says, yes. Do you remember when you had to give a report in front of the class? Yes. Do you remember all the boys looking at you? Yes. How did that make you feel? Yachi. Shkoyach. 
And it, sometimes it's the secular girls who say it so clearly of, of the sense of being demeaned. I said to a girl once who was not dressing particularly tzniyas, I said, well, why would you dress that way if you don't want guys to look at you? I said, well, I don't want all guys to look at me. I just want some guys to look at me. <laughs> I said, once you put the merchandise in the store window, you can't stop people from window shopping. So therefore, it's being done in order not to allow women to be objectified. And if women want their pictures to be out there, I am. there are websites, and I'm not talking about, you know, improper websites. There are websites more than happy. I mean, this was one of the things that happened with Only Simchas. There used to be a website, Only Simchas, and they'd put up a whole bunch of pictures, and guys were looking at them. Looking is the wrong word. Ogling them. It's a better word. Leering at them. <laughs> so after a while, people stopped putting up pictures on these public sites because of this. So uh, um, is it extreme? Like uh, when they took out bin Laden and the Hamoudia airbrushed the picture of uh, Hillary Clinton out? Was that too much? Yeah, I don't think that Hillary Clinton being there would be a problem for anybody. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> I can't say. But the idea is that there are people who would like to respect women's privacy and they know that men will demean them by staring at them and that's why they do it. That's the reason for it. Now, full disclosure, I can't get my daughters to do it. I've really tried. I have eight daughters. So this is obviously a sensitive topic for me. And I've had my sons on the show. Yeah. I've had some of my son-in-laws on the show. And, of course, my daughters will not come on. So I wanted for a Purim episode, I might as well just tell it to you because I don't think it's ever going to happen, you know. I wanted to talk about this concept. It's In Israel, it's called Hadarat Nashim, you know, where they remove women from the public sphere. And I want to have three of my daughters on to talk about it. Wearing sheets. <laughs> and I think this is so funny, and I can't get it. One time they almost agreed, and then they backed out at the last minute. But I think that would be so funny to discuss how the Ratnashim with three women with, with sheets over there. <laughs> and my daughters are all very accomplished and are very involved and have, uh, you know, do a lot of important things. Uh, but it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I just, I just, the idea seems to be so interesting. So anyway, that's the reason for it. Anyway, I see where you can consider it absurd, uh, but I certainly don't find it demeaning, and I sure hope it's not upsetting, because it's coming from a positive place. Uh, it's, it's to protect the dignity of women from prying eyes. Now. Could there be that there are girls who are staring at my picture and demeaning me and objectifying me? Nah, not a chance. <laughs> yeah, but it is fun to pretend. <laughs> All right. Yeah, everyone should have a wonderful, happy Yantif. Filled with joy and happiness, good food, good wine, good company. Here's to good friends, the start of something special. Yeah, because today it's 
going to be Sukkis. Yeah? I don't know if that's exactly how it goes, but you get the idea. Mirza Hashem. Everyone should have a beautiful Chag Sameach. Uh, this is Dr. Olavsky, and this has been the Rabbi Olavsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simcha, ready to go. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Knowledge and wisdom will help you grow. Lots of fun in every episode. And we don't have to rhyme. No, we don't. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. On RabbiOrlovsky.com. Torah, anytime. YouTube and more. It's Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simba, ready to go. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Till next time, till we meet again. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Show.